ser benfiquista é uma crença. É uma religião muito grande. A visão é um culto. A coragem, que é a liberdade, que é crer, que é vontade, que é o caráter das pessoas. A alma de quem é grande, maior que os maiores. É uma paixão que eu tenho explicação. Eu não consigo explicar o que é ser do Benfica. Eu sinto o que é ser do Benfica. Mas de facto uma paixão. E as paixões são assim, vivem-se assim intensamente. Aqui não há nenhuma razão. É paixão, paixão, paixão. Ser Benfica. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Talking to the Dolby Figa podcast. Episode number 374 is what we're serving up tonight. My name is Alfredo Fumasas, as always, coming to you every Tuesday night uh, during the season where we're reaching our vacation period, if, if there's such a thing. Uh, with me, as always, Cristiano Oliveira. Cristiano, como é que é, amigo? What's going on, everybody? Thank you once again for uh, tuning in and checking us out. Excited to be back for another Benfica podcast. Yeah, that's right. And uh, also with us, uh, the stat man, Dave de Oliveira. What's happening, Dave? Nothing much. Vacation's coming up. Uh, hopefully we get uh, more than nine days like the uh, players. And uh, maybe me and Chris will go to uh, Brazil and pack up JJ's uh, stuff that he left behind there. <laughs> Could be. Um, we have a very special guest in in uh, in the eve of of the Taça Portugal, if you, if you will. Uh, we have the author of A Thousand Miles to Jamor or Rumo Jamor, a journey in Portuguese football. Felipe Davilés, welcome, my friend, and thank you for joining us all the way from Portugal. We know it's late there, uh, and certainly we appreciate you taking the time and and, and making yourself uh, available for us. Hey, no problem, guys. I'm I'm very happy to be on. Right. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit uh, to Flip about his his book, obviously, which uh, I you know I've I've heard several podcasts about uh, his book with Flip on him, and I always found it very fascinating. Uh, and certainly, the Portuguese uh, Cup is something uh, that brings a, a almost like a a fantasy or a fairy tale uh, to a lot, especially to a lot of the the smaller teams as they advance and they, they progress. And I, I'm I'm very curious to hear about. Uh, your experiences uh, writing a book, uh, and also, you know, what what uh, what you could share with us. Uh, also, um, we'll look back at the Sporting game, the the last game of the regular season, and the curtain uh, dropper, if you will, uh, for the por for Portuguese football, uh, the Portuguese Cup final that happens this Saturday uh, between Benfica and Porto in a different setting. But we'll get into that. So, Philippe, let us. Um, Let, let, let us talk about the, this book. So the book was, was published in October 2019, correct? The, the Portuguese version, yeah. The, the, the English language version came out by Pitch Publishers in, uh, from, from England, and that came out in March, I believe, March of 2020. So let me ask you this. What motivated you to write this book? Obviously, you're, you, know, you have other interests, but certainly football is, is one of them. Uh, and uh, you're a Benfiquista, we could say that, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no but, but this is not the reason why we brought you on a podcast, even though this is Benfica podcast, but certainly being a Benfiquista <laughs> helps. Uh, but you, you really went into this as kind of a neutral, right? What, so what, what motivated you to, uh, to write this book? Okay, well, the, the idea came to me uh, during one of my, uh, one of my trips to, to Jamor for the cup final, uh, more specifically the game against Guimarães that we won 2-1. Um, and if, if you remember uh, from watching that game, it rained from the starting whistle and right until the end. And that's very rare for a Portuguese cup final because usually it's absolutely gorgeous weather in, in Jamor in, in late May. 
or early June, and uh, and we all get terrible sunburns from from hanging out in the woods there for from early morning until until the game's over. But this time it rained, and I remember I had I had a, I went for a walk around the stadium uh, just before I think kickoff was just about to start, and I, I was there were still big big queues to get into the stadium, and so I went for a last walk around uh, to to see to see the atmosphere, and that's when it really hit me. See, Jamod, for those of you who are not familiar with it, is an idyllic stadium. It's 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 old. It's it's not one of these big modern stadiums. It's uh, it's from it's from the forties, and it has been renovated slightly, but it still has that very old look and feel to it. And it's placed right in the middle of of, of a forest, basically just outside of Lisbon. And um, and so all the surroundings is is all woods and uh, you know and dirt ground and stuff like that. People will go in the morning. They will set up their picnics, have uh, pigs roasting on a spit during the day and beer flowing and and it's just a huge party atmosphere. It's a lot of fun and it's it hit me when I was going when I was walking around. There are entire families that just go to this to this party to this festival of football. They don't even have. They don't have tickets. They can, they don't even dream of making it into the stadium to watch the game. They're just there for the atmosphere. And I remember looking around and thinking, this is unique. This is something. I'm. This doesn't exist. We hear about Wembley and Wembley being an iconic stadium for the final of the English of the of the FA Cup, but Wembley is a modern stadium. I mean, and even the Olympia Stadium, stadium in in Berlin, where they where they play their cup final, and, and that's an old stadium as well. And I, I was there actually for the. For the World Cup final in 2006, um, I was—I managed—I was lucky. I managed to get some tickets for that, and and it's yeah, you know, it's it's a great stadium. But the surroundings outside is nothing compared to to Jamur. I think it's it's really unique in in what we would call civilized uh, civilized countries to have this setting, to have this atmosphere for a cup final for a big game. And I thought this is something that people that people will want to know about. And and from the from the get go, when I started writing the book, I, I would write one chapter first in Portuguese and have it translated into English because I always wanted to to launch an English version of it. But I couldn't be sure that 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 I'd be able to get any publishers interested. In the end, I did, and I think it's been doing relatively well considering it's a, it's obviously a niche uh, a niche subject. But um, but I know there's a market for it amongst English English uh, speakers and and especially in Britain and Scotland and so on, uh, but also hopefully in, in the states now with and uh, and Canada with more people being interested in international international football or soccer, um, there will be this interest to 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 hear about this unique atmosphere in uh, in in a European uh, footballing country. Uh, so that, yeah, that that's what that's what motivated me to to write the book. So you're in your initial uh, planning stages of this book. What what did you uh, think the biggest challenges uh, were going to be in writing this uh, this book? Time and and budget. I mean, obviously Portugal is not a huge country, but I had I had no budget to start with. So you know, I had no publishers uh, agreed upon before writing the book. And my idea was to I wanted to steer well away from anything to do with uh, scandals and polemic and and stuff like that because. For those who are familiar with Portuguese football, there's just way too much of that. Um, and, and since it's so much about the big three, we have three major uh, sports newspapers, daily sports newspapers, and every day there has to be something to, you know, to, to sell. Uh, and so they really go after all of, these, uh, all, all of this scandal and toxic uh, atmosphere. And I wanted, to, I wanted to focus only on 
the celebration of football. I wanted to focus on the fan culture. So I wanted to be amongst the fans. Uh, and um, and so that meant traveling to the games, obviously. And so what I wanted to do was was pick up the the, the basic road to Wembley format. You know, it's not something I invented. Obviously, it it's existed, it exists already, but it had never been done in Portugal for Portuguese football. So I thought, you know, this this could work out. It's something that's never been been done here. So what I did was I picked uh, a team right in the first stage of the the first uh, first stage of the cup. And that's the stage where the the Primeira Liga and the second the second league teams do not don't, don't participate in yet. So it's only the sort of the, the minor teams. And and I was gonna follow one club from in their first game and then after that sort of follow a different club in each stage all the way up to the final. I needed I needed a, a way to decide on which club to follow because there are almost a hundred clubs participating in the first stage. A lot of them are very small. Uh, very small clubs, and I thought, okay, I'll pick the club which is which comes from furthest away from the venue for the final, from from Jamur. And uh, naturally, in Portugal, a club, the club furthest away from Jamur would always be from the Azores. So that presented a problem to me because it could be that they would be playing at home. So you know, I, I was going to see how how that would work out. It turned out there were two clubs. That the basically tied because they use the same stadium. The two clubs from Graciosa Island in the Azores, they were the clubs that were from furthest away. One, Maritim de Graciosa, was playing in uh, in the Azores away, but in the Azores also in Terceira, I, I think. And um, and the other, um, Graciosa Football Club, was playing in in Lisbon against Casapia, which is a historic, a very historic ground and a historic team. And so I thought that's it. You know, they're they're playing almost next door to to where I live. What's more, so so that was easy. And so I followed Gudosiosa for the first game, and then Gasapia won that game, uh, not not surprisingly. And uh, and then I so then I focused on Gasapia and their fans and their and all of the history of Gasapia for the second stage. And then from then on, um, almost in an unbroken line. I, at one point. I stopped following the winner. Um, Gazapie won the next two games, and then they were going to play against uh, against uh, Passos de Freire. But I decided not to travel to Passos de Freire and focus on Passos de Freire because I wanted to focus on a smaller team um, for 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 other reasons, which will, will make sense when you read the book. And uh, but yeah, I managed to keep that that goal of following a different club in every stage of the cup all the way up to the final. Um, and so giving you the whole of the, sort of the road to, to the Jamur and presenting clubs that most people would rarely, may never have heard of, uh, or if they had, what would not know very much about clubs like Sportivo das Aves, which you spoke about ex- extensively in your, in your last podcast for unfortunate reasons, but this was mm-hmm. the, the year after they'd, after they'd won the cup. So they were the cup holders and that was a great, that was a great experience being there with their fans and, and hearing them tell that story. Uh, because obviously they'd all, they all, it was all very fresh in their, in their memories and Sportivo das Aves is a very small club. And for them, that was the biggest achievement in their, in their history. Um, but also clubs like Les Choyges, which is a very historic club in Portugal with a huge history, big fan base, and uh, considering it's not one of the big three, and um, and very passionate fan base. And But it was a lot of fun to just be be there amongst the fans, get to know the fans, get to know the culture. 
I think especially for, for someone who is a fan of one of the big three, as you said before, I'm, I'm a Befikista and that's not something, it's not something that I advertise in the book. I try and in the book to, to keep that, uh, to keep, to be as neutral as possible, but it's something that everyone who knows me would know about. So it's, you know, it's not nothing to hide. And, um, but as a fan of the, of one of the big three, it was great to get to know people who have genuine passion for their local club, people who support smaller clubs and exclusively support smaller clubs. And I met, I met a lot of those and it was an eye opener because that's a part of Portuguese football that a lot of us are not familiar with. As you mentioned, you traveled, you know, uh, the whole country basically from Madeira to Sors all the way up to Jamor in Lisbon, right? Every, in, in every good Portuguese person knows every little town, every little city has their own traditions. Did you witness Anything out of the norm? Anything that you didn't expect in these little towns or even the bigger towns that you had the privilege of visiting? Um, I don't know if there's anything that sort of immediately springs to mind. I know uh, Avs was, was an interesting place to visit. It's a, it's a small, it's a, it's a very small town. They call themselves the, the, the biggest town in Portuguese football because most other clubs will come from cities. So they call themselves a maior vila do futebol português. And they're proud of the, side of, the, of the fact that they're not a city. And they're, they're an, an industry. You know, as you, if you know, the, this part of the north of Portugal is very industrial. Um, and so and, and so a lot of people working in the, in the clothes and shoe industry and, and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and for them, you know, it's, 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 it's a relatively hard life. And they've got a lot of, they've gone through picked up and we'll see how, how it survives the, the crisis now after the, the COVID-19 pandemic, but it picked up over the last few years, but they had some really hard times. And so for, for them, you know, the, there's, there's, there, there are a lot of big, big rivalries between these towns and cities up, up north. I think more than, more than in the south. In fact, that's probably one of the things that, yeah, that I would point out. I think for um, something that is, that is special is how, because we, you know, we're used to the Porto Befica sporting rivalries. And then we know we know that there's Guimarães and Braga and stuff like that, and obviously Guimarães against pretty much everyone else because they have they have a very passionate fan base as well, and you know they can be quite aggressive. Uh, it's a great ground to go to if anyone gets a chance. But the but to see the the intensity of the rivalry between Avge and Tirsens, for example, uh, which are neighbors, or between Tondela and Viz and Academic de Viseu, because Academic de Viseu is is historically the big club from the Viseu uh, district. And Tondela is also from the Viseu district, it's a different city, but it's also in the, in the same district. And they have surpassed Academic Viseu over the past few years. And so they are now becoming the club from, from the Viseu district. What's more, this year they managed to, to stay up in the Primera Liga again, clenching, managing to clinch that spot right in, one, in the last, last game of the, of the season. And, um, and they told me about some of that rivalry and... Uh, this, in fact, in Tondela, they told me some stories which were quite impressive. They, they'd had uh, games, uh, fundraiser games, friendlies, uh, to raise money for, for the victims of the fires. As you know, horrendous fires that devastated that part of the country uh, two or three years ago and killed scores of people. They had fundraisers and the Academic Viseu fans chanted, um, we want to see Tondela burn. And, and things like that. And the Tondela fans who are, you know, quite a peaceful bunch um, and all pretty very new to, to all of this uh, first tier football thing. They were absolutely shocked by that. And they were telling me about how, how, how shocking that was. But even the, the Avs fans, you know, telling me about trouble they had when they played against Basch Freire 
these, are, you know, these things would never occur to us, that, that there would be this rivalry between Avs and Basutfreide. And in fact, the way it began is, is, is hilarious. They, they had a game in Basutfreide and they took, they, as you know, in Portugal, we have this tradition of celebrating in roundabouts for, for some reason. You know, there's the big Merkesh Pombal celebrations in, in, in Lisbon, but the roundabouts will, will, will tend to be um, one of the, one of the um, meeting spots for, for fans. And, uh, and the, the uh, Avs fans took a banner to the game saying, we want to celebrate in the roundabout tonight. And they meant, we want to go back to Avs to celebrate in our yeah. roundabout because they'd be staying up or something like that. And Basutfrede fans apparently thought that that meant that they wanted to celebrate in their roundabout in Basutfrede and took this as a huge offense. And so from then on, there's been this intense hatred between Avs and Basutfrede. It's, you know, it was, it was quite funny. Yeah. Um, you, in fact, but you, when you started, the, when you asked me the question, you said, you know, I traveled all around to, to write the book, Madaira Sorch. I didn't actually go to the Sorch to, uh, to write the book. Uh, you know, but that's fine. But I had the privilege of, go, of going afterwards, after the book was published. I was invited to go because I focused on two uh, Azorian teams, Graciosa and Ingres from Terceira. In fact, are any of you from, from the Azores? From, because I know there's a huge Portuguese uh, Azorian community in the States and in Canada. But no, not, not. No. Not I've got case, uh, some on my mom's side from uh, San Miguel. Okay, okay. Uh, but anyway, the Azores are absolutely stunning part of Portugal. And, and, um, and I'd been to a couple of islands before. But I was invited by Ingres to go to, uh, to, be part, to, sell, to, to take part in their centenary dinner, which was followed the next day by a, a derby against uh, Lusitania. And this is an interesting derby because uh, Lusitania is, uh, is a branch of Sporting officially, and Ingres is a branch of Benfica. So it's, they have their own little local Benfica Sporting in, uh, in Terceira. And so I got to go to that, and I thought once I was going to that, I spoke to the guys from Graciosa and said, if, if you guys can help me out with my traveling, you know that I would love to go to Graciosa as well and, and have a, a launch the book there and get to know the club. So I, I managed to go to, to both of the islands, and that was great. Graciosa, that I started the book with, uh, is from an island with less than 5,000 people. And they have, I think, five um, official football, t- football teams on the island, to, which shows you the importance of football in, in, the, in the Azores, and for these guys in particular. And they, watching the, the, for that first game uh, for, the, for the book with them, was, it, was, it was great, because it was mainly Azorians who were living on the mainland and... This for them was like a once-in-a-lifetime experience. This was the second time they'd ever participated in, in, in the Cup. And they knew they weren't going to win. They knew they weren't going nowhere near uh, the Jamur. But just to be in the Cup was enough for them, and, you know, just to have that moment. And so, and so that was great. And they treated me like they're, they're, they're very hospitable. They, they take pride in being very hospitable. So I was, I was never left without a drink in my hand and you know, constantly pressing drinks into my hand. And I, and I had one of those experiences, which is very rare. You, know, you get to the end of a game and all the players are cousins or friends of the people who'd been watching the game, supporting them. And so at the end, all the players came out and we were all drinking beer out of the back of a, out of the back of a, of a car from a cooler uh, with the players themselves, uh, you know, sort of who in a normal circumstance would be, would be the stars and far away from, from the fans. So this is, you know, this is real football. This is football. This is real popular football where the fans get to hang out with the players and, and, and chat to them and so on. And Graciosa, unfortunately, now is going through a difficult stage because they'd, um, 
that season they they dropped down back into the Graciosa uh, Championship, the Graciosa League, so the local island league, which is like the lowest division you you can be in. And unfortunately for them, two of the other clubs from Graciosa were went up into the Azorian League, and that left and another two decided not to participate in the Graciosa League, so that left them with no one to compete with, and with no one to compete with, they couldn't secure promotion. Uh, to to the Azorian League the next season. Mm. So what they did was they formed Graciosa A and Graciosa B. Apparently the, the rules allowed them to do that. And they had their own league between themselves. Naturally, Graciosa A won the league. And so they were expecting to be promoted. And they invested quite a bit of money to be promoted and to be able to to, to put on some sort of a decent show this, uh, this next season in the Azores. But because of the pandemic, they canceled all of the all relegations and, and all promotions. So that was, you know, that, that for them, that was a, a wasted season. And, and they were talking about this, saying this, this could, this could put jeopardize the actual existence of the club. I hope it won't come to that, but. Oh, they're yeah. mimicking, they're mimicking the team that they want to be like Benfica having troubles as well. So they're, <laughs> yeah, but the flip, I wanted to ask you, and you mentioned that you had spent some people, uh, some, some time with the people over at uh, Vila de Zavs. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, what's your, what's your take on their current situation? And certainly somebody that spent time with them, you can't help but feel, feel sorry for, for the situation that they're going uh, through right now. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I, once again, and I know you spoke about this a lot in your in your last podcast, and you explained uh, that these, you know, the the sads, the the corporations that run the professional football side of a lot of these of a lot of these clubs, and that in many cases are owned by outsiders. So big clubs like Benfica Sporting and Porto will have rules where the club has to be a majority shareholder in the SAD. But for a lot of these smaller teams, they see it as a golden opportunity to sell off the majority so that they can secure investment to, to do well. That's what Avs did. You know, it worked for them. They won a cup. But unfortunately, um, it, it didn't last. And, uh, and what, what surprises me is to see that clubs continue to do this because it, I can think of perhaps only one case, maybe Sturil, where you know, now Famalicão, but, but Sturil, you know, and Famalicão, we'll see. But Sturil has done this, uh, I think, for quite some time and, and yeah. they've been stable. But all of the other cases, it just it tanks. And with Les Chonges, when I covered when I covered Les Chonges for the book, they were going through the same situation. We've obviously you know got this farce of Bulnes having two two clubs playing in different leagues. Um, one of them used, still using the name isn't even allowed to use the name Bulnes, although everyone refers to it as Bulnes. And it, and it, it's getting ridiculous. And but with Av, yeah, of course I feel sorry for the fans because it's always the fans who 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 end up suffering with this. You know, it's not, it's not the guys who are investing in the sad. You know, maybe they lost some money, then they, they pack up their bags and they leave. But these guys who have Avs tattoos on their forearms and, and who, who really suffer for the club. And, you know, this is, as I was saying before, rare cases where these people say, you know, this is the only club that I support. You know, I'm not one of the big three. And then also Avs on the side. This is, this is, you know, this is my passion. This is my club. And now suddenly they, they face the prospect of their club going completely bankrupt and, and getting drawn into these ridiculous situations where, where it's, it's ridiculous what happened last week. The, yeah. the bus key is disappearing. The cup has disappeared from it. It's, it's just it's horrendous. In fact, uh, when I was with them, I was with the, support, the official supporter group, um, Forza Vez. Not many of them, but you know, maybe a couple of dozen. 
but I was you know, sort of with the, the more hardcore group. Uh, when I mean say hardcore, I don't mean sort of violent or anything like that. I mean the ones who go to all the games and sort of the, the, the main components of the group. And, um, and, there, and I called their leader a couple of, uh, a, couple of we- uh, a week or so ago because I was going to be in, in the vicinity and I thought maybe I'd be able to go around and see them and, and, uh, and hand them some copies of the book and so on because I hadn't had, had, had a chance to do that yet. And he told me that he'd actually been elected vice president of the club recently in the last elections, which, which took place this year. And from what I've seen from the reactions, the fans have, have really rallied around the president of the club. Again, club, not, not sad. And it seems like they are maintaining some unity. Uh, sort of from all of this, they, it, they may come out on top. I really hope so, because I really enjoyed meeting those guys. I really enjoyed going to the game. They lost the game against Braga, but it was, it was a wonderful story about how they won the cup the year before and, uh, and how much it meant to them. And so it would be very sad to see Av sort of be wiped off the map because of, because of these ridiculous in, investments in this, uh, this fool's gold uh, yeah. mirage of, of, of quick and easy money. Um, Tondela, another case, you know, where they've, they've sold off majority. They've, you know, it's been, again, been working out reasonably well for them. They've got very good youth, um, youth teams, for example. They're managing to capture a lot of talent. We'll see. We'll see how it works out in the long run. I have serious doubts that Famalicão will still be uh, play, placing sixth or fifth within a few years. I think probably they'll be in the same situation that a lot of other clubs have found, find, are finding themselves now. On the other hand, you know, they could say to me, it's easy for you to speak. You're a Befica fan. There's always plenty of money, you know, as we've seen now from this investment in getting Georges Zouz back. Uh, but for us, it's not so easy. So, yeah, you know, that, that's true. That's true. So I don't know what the solution is. But this, this model that they've been following doesn't seem to be a, a good solution for the, for the medium long term. Yeah, so what has been uh, the most uh, satisfying aspect uh, throughout this whole process of uh, writing this book for you? I think, you know, really the, the reactions, getting the book published was very satisfying. Uh, because, as you know, there's not a huge market for books at all in Portugal. And it's not the first book I've written, but it was, it was the first book I wrote about football that sort of was really aimed at, at a general, uh, a general um, a public. Um, I wrote a sort of a youth book, um, not a youth book, a, a book, on, a book with, with children's stories about the history of Benfica called As Aventuras de Cosminho in 2010, I think. Um, and then I've, I've written a couple of other books, completely you know, different subjects. Uh, and then I came back to football with this one, making it, making it general. And to be able to be able to get it published in, in English was fantastic. I actually got an English publisher before I secured the Portuguese publisher because, uh, the Portuguese publisher prime books said, yes, you know, we'll, we'll do this with you, but we need to secure a sponsorship for it because, it won't make enough money just on the sales uh, because in Portugal, you know, that, that, that's not how it works. We managed, fortunately, to get a, to get Sagres, uh, beer to, to sponsor the book, uh, put up some money for, for the book to get to go ahead, which is very nice of them, you know, and it's, it's obviously it's, it's, it's a market that they're interested in, in promoting themselves in. So that was great. And, um, and so, yeah, it was satisfying to get it published. But what's really been satisfying is to see the people's reactions. And I think for, for people... First of all, from, from English-speaking readers, um, a lot of people saying how fascinating it's been to finally get books that give them some insight into, into Portuguese football. 
um, but also from Portuguese readers saying, you know, finally, finally a book that focuses on the general popular, uh, the, the people's game, uh, the, the, and the fan culture in Portugal, because that's something that's, that's very much neglected. And, and amongst all of these constant arguments and bickering between, between Befica Sporting and Porto fans, you can lose this, 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 this good spirit, you know, the, yeah. of, of, of healthy competition, but also of, you know, of rivalry, but, but also of, of genuine fan culture and, and the celebration of football, which is, which is what I wanted to capture. I think a third aspect that, that, um, that I enjoyed and that, that's perhaps surprised me, I think it, it, it affected me a lot. Uh, it affected me and the way and my outlook on fan on rivalry and fan culture and so on. Uh, and I think I've become more ecumenical, if you, if you could use that term, um, in, in, in my outlook on Portuguese football, I think, and with these, I'm not sure if you've spoken about that in any, in any of your other podcasts, but these, these laws that have been enacted in Portugal to try and control fan violence and so on, but that I and a lot of other people think is, is, are going, going to do a lot of harm to fan culture in Portugal. Um, having to having to get a fan card, you know, fan ID to to go to games and so on. Um, I think it's time a lot of fans realize that if we want to keep fan culture alive in Portugal, we have to stop fighting amongst ourselves. And I mean that both metaphorically and and literally. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we have to stop fighting among ourselves and and, and unite to try and uh, and face this big enemy which is you know sort of modern football trying to kill fan culture in in portugal as as they have done in many other countries so so yeah it definitely changed my outlook on on portuguese football and my and my role in portuguese football as well as a fan i'm pretty sure anyone that's read your book or you know even now for the first time hearing about your experiences is extremely jealous because I know I would have done anything to have the opportunity to do what you've done. So just amazing, um, you know, that you were able to do that. And, and I'm glad that we, you know, finally, I mean, I speak for myself, finally hearing about this experience. So very happy to have you on. And question I have is any regrets from the way, uh, from the way you chose to, or which team to follow throughout the whole journey? I mean, cause I know you s- skipping teams and following and jumping off the train at different stops. Um, any regrets in doing not just following one particular team or are you very happy with what you decided to no, do? I'm, I'm, I'm happy I decided to follow different, different clubs. Um, I was sorry that for the first time in 12 years, the final was between two big clubs um, because and that, that was pretty incredible. We had an 11-year run without finals in the Jamor between, the, between two of the big three. Uh, and unfortunately, that came to an end with, with the season that I decided to follow it. Obviously, you know, I would have liked to see Befik in the final. That would have been great for me. Uh, it was, you can imagine how I was feeling in Alvalade when we lost the game against Sporting in the semifinal, thinking, oh my God, <laughs> now I'm going to have to go to Jamur and put up with Sporting and Port fans on the same day. What am I going to do? But I survived. Uh, and, um, and I had a, a really funny uh, episode in Jamur when I was speaking to, to a couple of Port fans. And there was one, he, he was way past drunk. He, was, he could barely stand. And when I told him, I'm a journalist, and I'm writing a book, you know, and, and obviously I, was, I wasn't wearing any club colors. Obviously, that would have been suicide. But uh, writing this book and so on about, about, the, about the cup. And, he said, and I said, I've been following different clubs. And he, and he looked at me and went, so you must be really sad. And I said, why? Why, why would I be sad? And he said, because you're a Befica fan. And I laughed and I said, well, I am. Yeah. How, how did you know? And he said, I can smell them. 
<laughs> it was great. I laughed so much, um, but but I had I had no problems whatsoever. Um, but I think uh, regrets. I would have. I would have liked to have been able to follow uh, more teams, perhaps from from different regions in Portugal. I ended up, and obviously I had Benfica Sporting in the semi-final and I focused on Benfica Sporting and I, I had Casa Pia from Lisbon. And then I had a lot of clubs from from, from the north, uh, Aves, Porto from in the final, uh, Leixões, teams from the Azores. I didn't have any teams from Madeira and I didn't have uh, any teams from the south. I didn't have any teams from the Algarve. I would have liked to do uh, clubs from the Algarve. Problem is, um, you're, you think, okay, you know, next next round, maybe I'll try and pick a team from the south, and then suddenly they're all gone, you know, because they all got eliminated in, in the round that you're doing. So it's it's hard to plan ahead. Um, but I, you know, I did what I could. There were a couple of games that I was, you know, I was actually working that weekend, and and so the only chance I had was to go and see the game at Casapia because where I work is next door to Casapia. Uh, and so it was difficult and between that and family and so on to, to have gone to everywhere I would have liked to go. So, so yeah, I think I would, I would very much like in the future, you know, this is just a dream. There's nothing concrete on the table at all. Maybe do uh, a television version of this if, mm. if anyone would be willing to. With video. Know, to, yeah, with video and, and, and that and sort of maybe make it a, a more regular thing and, Give us a chance to go and 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 see clubs actually from from more from from different regions. Of there's, for example, football in the Alentejo is is very difficult. You know they have no clubs in the in the main in the main league. They haven't had since Campeões years ago. But there are some historic teams in Porto Alegre and Évora and so there are clubs like that that it would be fun to to follow but yeah. you know you, i couldn't do them all yeah um just tapping a little bit into your to your benfiquista uh side um how do you how do you see the lack of trophies by benfica in the past 20 years the lack of portuguese cup trophies what, what do you think that uh that could be attributed to oh i I don't know. Um, you know, uh, on one hand, as I said, uh, there's been this um, there's been this lack of of games between the big three in, in the final. That might I haven't actually thought about this in in great detail, but it might to some extent show how nowadays, you know, with European uh, games and so on, and and more competition in the in the league, but at least between Benfica and Porto. Uh, there has been this need to to focus more on the league and on Europe, and maybe that's that's led to some has led, led the, the club sometimes to choose uh, B sides, so to speak, to play against uh, against lower lower ranked clubs in in the cup, which then leads to surprises. I mean, you, you saw that with Sporting this season against Alverca, getting knocked out of the cup by Alverca. We were knocked out by Riwav a couple of years ago. Um, maybe that might be part of it, uh, but um, but I don't know because we we have had you know we have had the chances. I remember we lost against Stubal uh, several years ago in the year that we the year we we won the the league, and clearly the players had just sort of celebrated too much and and and, <laughs> and were exhausted by the time the the cup final came. Um, my first time I went to Jamor, we lost against Boavista, although that was probably more than twenty years ago. Uh, we had. Um, we had a defeat against Guimarães uh, a few years ago, which obviously, you know, it, it hurt at the time. That was in 2013. That was the season we lost yeah. everything. Yeah, I know that season. 
as I, I keep saying, whenever people bring that up, I keep saying, if, if we knew what the next four seasons were going to be like, we would have laughed at the, at the end of that season and, yeah. not, and not cried as many of us did. But on, on one hand, no matter how much that hurt, it was nowadays, I can look back and think Guimarães are a club that deserve to have silverware. And that's pretty much the only trophy that they do have. So if I had to lose it to anyone, then to lose it to them, perhaps uh, it's perhaps something that I can live with. Uh, but yeah, we've had, uh, unfortunately, not as many uh, days at Jamwood as we would have liked to, because the times we have been there, we, we've, we, have, we have taken the cup over the past, uh, most of the times, Porto, Guimarães, Chihuahua, uh, I think, one year. Um, I think that, yeah, those are probably the, the, the latest three. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens on Saturday. I'm, I'm not overly optimistic, but you never know. You never know. Well, I mean, in, in what, nine attempts, uh, I think Porto has won, what, once, Dave? I, I know you put out the, that stat. Yeah, in the past Benfica eight, Porto in the finals. Yeah, in the past, past eight, yeah. Benfica has won all eight. Um, but just including, the, in, including the, the 2004 one. That was, was the that one was that was uh, against you know, the, the, the Super Mourinho team. Exactly. They, they went on to win the Champions League. So, so yeah, I, yeah, that was... So uh, how was uh, okay. how has the, the the book been received in Portugal in terms of of, of sales and, and certainly you're not expecting to get rich off of book sales but certainly there's got to be um, <laughs> not in Portugal it's, there's got to be something on on your end some curiosity on your end how the book has been received both in Portugal and internationally well I think on, on one hand um, the timing was well you know who would have guessed we'd be having a pandemic, right? So, so the, the timing didn't help. Uh, I think I could have, in a normal year, I would have been able to get more, more press coverage. Uh, in a normal year, we would have had the, the book fair in Lisbon in, in May, uh, June, uh, which, is, which is always a huge, a huge time for, for, um, for promoting and selling books. And that would have coincided with the cup final. That would have coincided with, with the end of the season. So things were sort of thrown off, off, um, off balance by, by the pandemic. But yeah, on, on the other hand, I mean, even Prime Books are a major publisher of football books in Portugal. Mm -hmm. so, so, you know, I, did, I, 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 sought, I sought them out and that's the publisher that I wanted to go with. But uh, clearly, um, even for, for Prime Books, you know, even for the publisher, and I'm, I'm not complaining, it's the way it is, the... A book about fans and about fan culture is not high on their on their priority. What sells in Portugal are biographies, you know, books about one club in particular, and uh, and so I know we we've sold not badly, not badly. Uh, perhaps a few hundred, a few hundred copies. Uh, I think the run was around a thousand, um, and and so and so that that's not it's not too bad, and we we settled our account. For, for this sort of these first few months the other day, and it's going to be enough to sort of to pay for my to pay for for, for the house that we're staying in on our for our holidays in in Porto. That's, that's wonderful. Which, exactly, which which is which is not too bad. Um, and uh, and in terms of the, in fact, I think I'll probably you know quite honestly, I, I may make more money off of the English version than the Portuguese version. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but, but on the other hand, the way, the way they split the royalties is different. So, so that might, you know, might not come to that, but, but yeah, as you said, you know, I, I, it's fun, it's fun doing these things as a project, something on the side, something to get my mind off my, my daily 
job, which is which is as a reporter covering mostly religious uh, issues, which is great. It's something I enjoy, but sometimes it's fun to focus on other things as well. And uh, and to have these projects is is great. And so that's something that um, I didn't do it for the money. Obviously, I did it for the fun. I did it hoping that I could contribute to uh, improving. F- fan culture and, and knowledge about fan culture in Portugal. And that's something that I think I succeeded in. The feedback has been very positive. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. I, I ordered, definitely worth it. Yeah. I, I ordered my, uh, my copy directly from uh, prime books. Um, I, um, I actually went on Amazon and, and, and searched for the book, Amazon here in the United States. And the one copy that was available, and I'm not even sure that it was something that was here directly or something that had to be imported uh, was $38 and $38. And this is, this is the Portuguese version, right? This was, I, I don't, I think it might've been the Portuguese version, but I went on prime, um, prime books, uh, on their site. The book is, is 12 euros and 50, uh, cents. Mm-hmm. Um, I ordered the book. I paid 10, 10 euros for, uh, the shipping and handling, but certainly, um, it's a, it's a book and, and albeit, uh, I haven't read it in its totality. And then, you know, what I know about it is the interviews that I've, that I've heard for, from you on different podcasts. Uh, it certainly is a book for, for not only for the collector, but also for the Portuguese, for the Portuguese football fan. Um, it's a book that's, that's very easy to read. That's, you could probably get through it in, in a couple of days, if not a, a weekend. I, and it's something that, you know, uh, from what I know, that really gives you a, an insight because oftentimes there's, there's folks that uh, look into the Portuguese football and all they can really find is Porto Benfica and Sporting. And I think by uh, giving this exposure of some of the smaller teams and, and some of the experiences that you had, it is certainly something that's going to be worth reading. And for the fan of football, uh, of Portuguese football, is certainly something that's going to open up a, a total different set of doors for people to export, uh, to explore. So, I can't wait to, to get the book and, and, and to read it and to, to be able to, to absorb that exp- the experiences that you, that you wrote about. But certainly I, I do recommend for anyone uh, that's a fan of Portuguese football, and there's a lot of Port- Portuguese football fans these days that are not native speakers or are not native uh, Portuguese uh, that uh, have a hard time finding a book about Portuguese football, especially in English. And Philippe had... Um, had the had the privilege of of writing both in in Portuguese and in English, and as you could tell, uh, his English is excellent. So there's oftentimes things that are a little bit lost in translation, or they're not translated very well. But when you're hearing Philippe right now, and and you hear the way he speaks English, in 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 the most uh, uh, probably the best dialect that you could that you could find certainly is something that I'm I'm very inclined to recommend to any uh, friends that are not native speakers that are interested in in Portuguese football. Uh, so, thank you for writing the book. Uh, most of all, um, what are the, the the are there any outlets right now that are that are uh, catering to the international market, namely the North American market? Uh, yeah, I'm, I've, I saw a pitch publishers reply to a tweet the other day about that saying a couple of months ago saying that the book would be on in the American market soon. And this was a while ago. So I think it already is. So I think you can get the English version off Amazon, off uh, Amazon.com and not just Amazon.uk um, quite easily and probably cheaper than having it shipped internationally. Um, I won't. I can't swear by it, but I but I'm I'm pretty confident that that's that that's the case. As you said, 
uh, for a lot of for a lot of uh, Portuguese football fans um, in the states and Canada. Obviously, the ones who most of the ones who'd be listening to to, to this podcast may not be that comfortable reading in Portuguese, and so so obviously the English version would would be a better a better choice for them. Uh, yeah, I really hope they they enjoy it. I'm on I'm on Twitter, uh, Facebook. They'll be able. You can find me easily. So you know, guys, get 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 back to me with your feedback, with your with your comments. And I always love to hear from from readers. It's that's been one of the best experiences of writing the book is to to get the feedback from from the readers about what the, how, what they think about the book. Where can people follow you on on social media, Philippe? Okay, I'm on uh, Twitter. I'm uh, F Avilez. Uh, that's A V I L L E Z. Um, and uh, I just 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 a warning since I, I use Twitter mostly for for my, for work purposes and so when I tweet in English it would quite often be about religious issues because that's what I write about so don't be surprised if I have been tweeting more about football but if you do follow me then you'll you'll be getting a mix of religion and football which is can be quite a dangerous mix uh, at times um, and I'm on Facebook as well Sleep the Village uh, Sleep the Village and so you, you'll be able to find me quite easily there I opened up an Instagram account for, for because of the book but quite honestly Instagram is not really my thing I'm more a man of, of words than, of, than of, of pictures so I haven't I haven't been using that that much but yeah I'm, I'm also on Instagram great great so uh, uh, let's get on to the next topic uh, the big derby the big Lisbon derby that uh, happened uh, this past uh, this past weekend uh, with uh, Benfica with really nothing to play but sporting with tons 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 to play um, I'll give you the lineup and then we'll get going Flacodimus in goal Almeida Diaz Jardel and Tomás Tavares uh, Julian Weigel Gabriel Pizzi and Servi on the wing Chiquinho behind Seferovic um, Cristiano uh, let me ask you this, surprised at all that uh, instead of uh, adapting Almeida to the left, which he has done under JJ especially, uh, and putting Tomás Tavar in his, in his natural position, are you surprised at all that that's what he opted to do? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good shot, absolutely. I mean, you'd think if, if he was going to move a guy around, it'd be, as you mentioned, the aforementioned the veteran Andre Almeida, a guy who's played multiple positions in his career at Benfica from right back to left back to center mid. You know, the guy, you know, he's like I like to call him here, uh, Pauli Valente. And so I figured with the experience of uh, Tomas Tavares, he'd be the one, stay, you know, staying put. But look, um, he decided to, to, to do the opposite. And, you know, I, I, I can't tell you that things didn't go well for him. You know, I thought he played particularly well. So credit to him for adapting and credit to uh, Verissimo for having the foresight. Yeah, let me ask you this. This might be a controversial, a controversial question, Philippe. Um, understanding that Chiquinho was still in a running uh, for for best scorer or I for the, for, I'm sorry, Vinicius. Um, did did you think that it, it was strange that he didn't get the start? Um, well, listen, guys, I, I should I should have made one thing clear. I'm, I'm happy to stay on and talk about the game. I am absolutely hopeless at anything to do with, with, with discussing players and strategies and positions and, and, and stuff like that. And to tell you the truth, that hadn't even crossed my mind. Um, I, although, you know, by the way, the way Bifika has been playing since, since the league restarted uh, and, and some of the performances have been so poor, you know, you'd really... Seferovic, Vinicius, you know, quite honestly, 
it's I know we, we didn't have that much to play for, um, and Sporting had a lot to play for, as you were saying. Uh, but but it's still you know it's still a Benfica Sporting, and and obviously we we want to beat them, um, and so so it'd be important to, to put up the best team possible. As, as as you were saying, it, it ended up by working, but but yeah, why um, why leave out Vinicius if you had a chance for to, to? I hadn't thought about that quite honestly. I have so. an answer. I have an answer. I have an answer. Maybe <laughs> quick save me. Maybe, just maybe, they came to to an agreement. Let's let's you know. Let's have let's let PZ take this one because if PZ if PZ were able to score another goal or if PZ were to able to stay at the top of the scoring chart, PZ would have been the first midfielder in the history of Portuguese soccer to win the Pichichi to win the, the leading whatever the leading goal score. So me, I'm not saying that was the case, but we've seen crazier things, right? We've seen 18 year olds making their debut in Champions League. So you know this wouldn't be crazy, too crazy. You know what I'm saying? So just maybe they're like, yo, PZ. About. We're setting a record here. We, we don't have much to, to praise or talk about for the rest of the season. At least, you know, we'll think about this as a positive. So, yeah. just me. But I do agree with Philippe that the way we've been uh, playing, oh, that whole forward line is interchangeable. It's like wearing a coat. One, one side is for winter, the other side is for spring, and you could just reverse the coat, and you, you still have a coat. <laughs> but uh, I, think, I, I think that would be between Vinicius and Sfero week because once you put on the the Diego Souza coat, it's it's like see through. Everything goes right through you. Forget about it. He's w way below par, way below those other guys. Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, Sporting with a lot to to play for, and certainly Sporting got the the better start of the game, if you if you will. Um, Benfica was able to combat that by pressing very high and winning a lot of balls, and and with those turnovers, uh, Benfica also created some some chances for themselves. Benfica goal comes in the 28th minute by Seferovic in a, in a in a goal that they've, when I first watched it, it looked like it was offside, but your homeboy, Seferovic, was able to put that one away and he was onside. Yeah, he was on same. I guess the same thing could be said about the second goal uh, as well, but yeah, he's onside there and uh, I don't know about you guys. Are you guys digging the uh, the new look from uh, Seferovic, the, uh, the blonde Swiss assassin with the... Uh, got his hair i think they all got there they all must have got clearance from the barbers because they all got a, a haircut within the last week but uh good to see Seferovic on the uh the score sheet it'll be uh it's gonna be interesting to see whether or not he gets in jj's good books or uh or not but uh let's just enjoy it uh while we can because i don't i don't think his uh, future looks too bright uh coming up uh, next season yeah um, so, yeah, so Benfica does uh, finish the half at one up, but uh, really they created more chances. And if, and if, if they go uh, into the locker room two up, three, not, three up, uh, I don't think anybody would have been surprised. Uh. Such was uh, the high press that they applied on Sporting. Sporting, obviously, with a young, uh, inexperienced team uh, trying to play out of the back, were caught out a couple times, uh, and certainly Benfica took advantage of that. But Chris, where was this high press playing against 90% of the Liga Nosh teams that we could have probably won a lot of games just in the first half with that high press? Well, the mastermind behind it was in Flamengo. And now that he's back in Lisbon, maybe he was giving instructions a la Felipe Vieira through an earpiece. We just don't know. But look, Benfica definitely had the opportunity to bear the game in the first half. Um, you know, 
they 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 played particularly well considering the opposition, right? And but you knew as Fleep says and everybody that that's obviously been a Benfica Easter for a very long time understands that a game of marbles against Sporting is always going to be a rivalry. It's always going to be a derby. Doesn't matter what position they're in, they're always going to battle it out. And then on top of it, if he got an opportunity to really stick a dagger to Sporting, which they eventually did towards the end of the game, and that was just you know it's something for us to smile about. He got to knock him out of third place, which is a beautiful feeling, but. That being said, Alfredo, I saw something in this game, and I don't want to get too excited about it because, as you know, we have greener pastures to, to, to welcome in the very next couple of weeks. You know, we're going to put this, this dark cloud behind us, right? And we're finally going to see a lot of sunny days ahead of us. That being said, there is another one of those uh, games reminiscing to what we've seen here since – to even Brun Lodge here in the second half because obviously when he started, he was absolutely phenomenal. But another instance where Benfica goes into the half, leading up, you know, 1-0, but that, as we've both stated here, all of us agree that they could have been up 2-3-4, whatever, whatever the case was. But they come out of the half and, you know, they create a couple opportunities the first five minutes and then Sporting starts picking it up. Then you get another opportunity, a weak right-footed shot by Sferovic, and then it was like, okay, it's all Sporting. From it was just you knew it was a matter of time before Sporting was to score. You knew the goal was coming. Sporting was going to score. It was just a matter. The question was how many? How many are they going to score? Because we came out of the locker room once again unprepared. The opposition's coaches, Alfredo, you know, I've complained about this all the time. The opposition was able to 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 do what they had to do, make changes, right? Correct whatever they were doing wrong in the first half. And once again, we were dismantled in the second half. Luckily, luckily, we were able to weather the storm, all right? And and we came out on top. But which was, I mean, that's, that's to me, it's the only highlight was the fact that you were able to to hold on to the 2-1 lead and then <laughs> Sporting Braga, Vida Porto, and now obviously, you know, uh, makes things more difficult for Sporting. I think it's, it's extremely ironic, uh, that both Benfica goals were very tight in terms of uh, offsides, right? Uh, and I, I think the f- the first one, the 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 assistant referee did not raise a flag. On the second one, I think he raised it. And for a team which is perhaps the poster child to endorsing uh, VAR uh, by the, their president at the time, I think it's ironic that they fall down to fourth place uh, after the VAR actually validated Benfica's second goal. Uh, so, you know, how about that for, for, uh, for irony? But uh, certainly uh, Vinicius got that goal and, and because he played less minutes than both Taremi and and. And Pizzi, he ended up uh, getting the uh, the top goal scorer, which is uh, Bola de Prata, which is awarded by uh, Jornal La Bola. Um, Dave, stats for this game, my brother. Yeah, so you pretty much uh, summed it up there with uh, Vinicius, uh, top goal scorer, but uh, not since 2006, 2007 had a league, the Portuguese league top goal scorer scored such a low amount of goals that. Uh, 18. I be, believe that year, Lietzen, uh from Sporting had 15 goals as the league's uh, top goal scorer. So, Vinicius uh, with uh, 18 uh, goals was the uh, league's top uh, goal scorer. Um, yeah, that's all I had pretty much for this. Uh, I'm, I'm done with this season, guys. I, I'm ready to. <laughs> I'm I'm ready for you're, the, you're, the next you're season. Checked out. Start. Bring yeah. on Rod Stewart, baby. Hey, Alfredo, as, as, as you know, and everyone listens to the podcast, goes, I'm not exactly the biggest PZ fan. But in a way, I was kind of hoping that it, just because it would have it would have been history, the first midfielder ever to, to beat a leading goal scorer in the Portuguese league, it would have been it would have been nice to see. But 
PZ has no one to, to, to blame but himself. I mean, with the 58 penalties he missed throughout the year, he could have led. I mean, he could have scored like 30-something goals this year if he just scored half of the ones he missed. He was voted uh, top player or MVP by uh, the league, if I'm not mistaken, right? Or was it by my football? Think about it. Yeah, that just came out uh, not a couple hours ago that he was uh, he was voted. But but yeah, top of the conversation the Porto channels, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so turning our attention to the uh, the the Portuguese uh, Cup final uh, that takes place this uh, this Saturday, August first at eight forty five local. And, and and by the way, if if any of you guys have, have paid attention, Portuguese Cup games um, have never been played this late they've always been games that start around 5 5 15 uh and certainly uh this uh the fact that they moved it uh to uh to coimbra and and dave i think you have a a, a stat on that and you could also ask flip what this uh what his thought is about the the move uh but i'll let you go on that yeah, so uh, the first f final that's not being held at the Jamur since 82-83. Uh, so, uh, Philippe, what do you think the future has in, uh, in store for the uh, Jamur? Uh, I know this year was more COVID-related, and they said the stadium was not uh, up, to far, up to par with uh, the regulations regarding COVID. But do you think they, this is uh, more of a sign of what's coming up uh, for the Jamur? And does the Jamur have a, a lifespan that's coming uh, to an end? Yeah, well, that's that. That's what I'm afraid of. Um, I, you know, I'm on one hand, I'm hopeful uh, because obviously, if there are no fans in the stadium, if there are no fans around the stadium, then you might as well pick a stadium that has better conditions. And Jamor does not have the best conditions for a football game. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. But if they do, and I, I spoke to. Let me just go back a little bit. You mentioned 82, right? In 82, 83, that was the last time it was played outside. That's because Porto put their foot down and said, no, you know, not, not Jamor, that's too close to Lisbon and so on. So they had to play it in their own stadium. Porto is the only club that's had three cup finals played in their own stadium. Mm. They, they lost two of them. Um, they, they won lost one against... And they lost that one once. Yeah, they, yeah, they lost that one. They lost that one. They lost one against Le Chouinge in 61 and they won one against Praga. But they're the only club that's ever played cup finals in their own stadium. Thank um, you. That was a trivia question. You, you took it from me. I was going to thank you for spoiling it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you can edit this out at the end. Uh, but, but yeah, so the so Porto fans, I think, are the only ones that will you will every once in a while hear complain about the final being played in Chamois. Benfica fans are happy with it. Sporting fans are happy with it. And all other clubs dream of making it to the Jamor. Everyone loves the Jamor. Interestingly, Porto fans will only say, and it, it might not even be the fans, it's, it might just sort of be, be the, the, the board and the, the sort of the talking heads of Porto, because um, they'll, they'll only ever say it when it's against Befica. Last year, they played Sporting in the, in the Jamor. Who heard anyone complain about the Jamor? No one. And I asked every single fan I spoke to in Jamor last year, uh, Sporting or Porto, I said, you know, occasionally there's talk of changing the venue and all of them said, no way, no way. This is, you know, you can move the, the cup, fi cup final away from Jamor, but you'll kill the celebration of the cup final. Yeah. You'll kill the party, the, the party spirit. So I really hope they don't do it. Um, you know, if they move it to a stadium where they can fit in 50,000 people, There'll be more money, yeah, but uh, but but they'll kill they'll kill the yeah. festa de taça, as we say in Portuguese, and that would be a huge shame. On the other hand, it would probably make my book much more valuable 
because I would have covered the only, but I would have covered the last final in Jamur. But um, but no, I think I'd I'd be willing to give that up for for a couple more outings to, to Jamor over the next few years, definitely. Yeah, certainly there's no uh, Jamor without the Mata and the Pork Nuspit. Uh, you know, I think that's that's typical. And in, in, in as Philippe has, had mentioned, there's there's people that go there just for the atmosphere and the celebration. Uh, so, so certainly something that's very well tied into that. And I've, I've only been to the Jamor once, uh, and I was fortunate enough um, to be back in Portugal after six years of, of being here in the United States. And when my parents and I and, and my sister went back for the first time, uh, we ended up being very fortunate um, to, to catch uh, Taça de Portugal final. And that was that famed game uh, with uh, Benfica against Boa Vista, where Benfica had Futre, Paul Souza, Rui Costa. Wow, and that was a, one of the tremendous games. But certainly... Uh, from my perspective, at the time that I went to watch, the, the whole scenery, the whole stadium is very picturesque. Um, it, there's there's a, a, certainly a very unique feel about the place. Um, there's also, when you look at the Jamor uh, and you know the history of Portugal and with the uh, Stade Novo, when you look at the, that stadium and the way that stadium was built with that with the tribune uh, and everything, it's it's very reminiscent of that Stadu Stadnov. And Philippe, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you, it's very unusual uh, the way the stadium was built, and it's almost like it's it's a bit reminiscent uh, as to the one in Berlin, also. Yes, that's um, right. Definitely. The architecture, the way that it's set up, uh, but it's a, it's a beautiful complex in the middle of the Monsanto uh, 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 forest. Uh, and it, if you ever have a chance to go to Portugal, even if there's no game there, go visit. Because as you're walking up, it's almost like the, the stadium takes a, a dip and it's on a hole almost. And at the top, you could see the whole stadium and all of the... Of the of the the bancada, if you will, uh, so very uh, unique place to have uh, the the Portuguese Cup, and certainly I hope that it continues there for many years. But yeah, uh, you know, without a doubt, it's it's a stadium that hasn't been updated in quite some time. Uh, that the conditions don't are not the best for for modern football, not only for for teams and players and technical staff, but also for the fan base. And and when you talk about a, a, a final, most of the time is between two rival clubs, whether it's Benfica Porto, Porto Benfica uh, Porto Sporting, uh, Benfica Sporting. So when you have games that have that heightened level of of security needs certainly a stadium like that is perhaps not the best venue to have uh, an event like that um dave well oh, sorry can, can i can i just interrupt sure. you there because yeah there, that that's true that's true the security is is an issue on the other hand um the super cup finals uh sorry the super cups not finals just one game is will always be played in one of these one of these big modern uh, Euro 2004 stadiums. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at a Super Cup final against Porto. Uh, I can't remember the year now, but one we lost 1-0 through Quaresma scored in Coimbra. There was violence outside of the stadium. Um, no no less than there than there was at the, in the 2004 game where we played Porto in, in Jamor. Um, in the Algarve, uh, the League Cup final and, and Super Cups against Porto and Sporting there's been violence outside the stadiums. So it's not a question. I think, I think the, the security is, is, is a false issue. Philippe, um, I, was, I was at the Benfica Braga 
in Aveiro, where the fans, the Braga clock was beating, the fans running into the field. This was like, well, I think four years ago, maybe. It, mm -hmm. it might have been Rafa's last game, but right before he made the switch. Yeah. to Benfica. And I, I'm going to tell you right now, I've, I've, I've been fortunate to, to, to travel to a lot of stadiums for different sporting from, you know, NFL, MLB, uh, whatever, you name it, right? In soccer stadiums around the world. And that time, I was – and I feared – I was I was scared a little bit because the things were getting out of hand. It was crazy. Kid, there were it was little kids, parents, grandparents, everybody. It was just it, it, the game kept going on. The amazing thing is <laughs> they're running from the stands. The cops are coming in with the little with the little cassettes, right? But the and and everybody's running onto the pitch, and the and the players kept playing. Like the referees were saying, that that was that was a very scary situation. So yeah, like you said, it, it doesn't matter about the stadium. You know, violence is going to happen. I mean, even before we walked into the stadium, you just saw the, the second the Braga buses showed up from the clocks, it just all hell broke loose. It yeah. was crazy. So. But, but, and tell me one other thing. How long did it take you to, to get out of the stadium afterwards and to, to leave Avaidu in your car? Avaidu must have one of the worst access systems. Hey man, from there, be careful what you say, bro. <laughs> no, 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 no. The, the, the stadium, the stadium, not the city, the stadium. I'm joking. It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Well, I'll wait until the end. That didn't matter. I'm always one of those. When I go to stay, I always wait. So I, I was, you know, I, I left pretty quick. But then again, I must have been like two hours maybe after, yeah. after everyone. Because last, last time I was in Avaidu, I think we were in the car for about an hour and a half before we were even able to leave wow. the vicinity of the stadium. You got to go to the pool. And that would have been a security nightmare. That would have been a security nightmare. I remember there were Porto fans, Benfica fans, all in traffic jams together. Fortunately, no one, you know, it didn't occur to anyone to get out of their cars and start a fight because it would have been would have been a disaster. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, don't give me that. It's um, the conditions, yes, security. That's that's not the main issue. And and on another, on the other hand, uh, and this is something that I think, it, it this is something that Benfica fans will say a lot. And I always thought that maybe it was something that we exaggerated. But having been at the Jamur to see a Porto Sporting game, and I was only on the outside. I didn't actually make it into the stadium. I wasn't able to get a ticket, but I wanted to focus on the celebration outside in, anyway. Um, it's true that the level of animosity and rivalry between Porto and Sporting is nothing compared to their rivalry to us. It, it's, it's, yeah, you know, I, I, I won't, okay, I won't go that far because I want to be, I, I, I want to be <laughs> ecumenical, as I said. But the but yeah, it was. Uh, I'd, I asked them. I said, "You guys, uh, so you're here today, big celebration," uh, and they would go, "Yeah, this is what football is all about. You know, this is what football should be." And this is in the book. You know, and I'd say, "Okay, but would this be possible against Benfica?" No, no, not against those bastards. Uh, from both, from both, uh, from both sides. Yeah. The the there I remember cases of violence between Porto and Sporting, but you cannot compare it to the level of of animosity that they have towards us um for sure you know they might say that it's our fault you know because <laughs> we're, we're the common denominator uh i don't you know i i, I yeah anyway, for I'll sure dave, dave stats on this uh matchup brother yeah so in the uh, 35 previous meetings uh between benfica porto and the uh Toss, uh, Benfica's won 21 times, drawn five, and lost nine. They've met nine times in uh, finals history, and Benfica's won eight and uh, lost uh, one. And uh, we discussed the last time they met in the finals was in 2004 with that uh, Mourinho team where we won in, uh, in extra time. Uh, that's the last time we've, uh, we've played Porto in the finals. The game many people will point to that broke the hegemony. I can never say that word, guys. Hegemony. I, I used to have a Brazilian hegemony. friend. Hegemony. 
I grew up with a kid named Diz Money, so uh, <laughs> I never get those those two correct. But uh, yeah, it's Simon Sabraza, and then obviously the next year we went on to to, to break the goose egg and you know win the first title in eleven years. So a lot of people point to that game as as a turning point. Uh, Christian, what do you um, what do you make it, uh, of Benfica's chances? Do you do you feel that? Um, <laughs> And, it, and, it, and it's hard to, for, for me to, to think through this, but th- th- let, let's just put everything that's happened aside, uh, this season aside. Uh, but do you think that Benfica having uh, probably the title within, within their grasp back in December and having uh, a tremendous implosion uh, after that, do you think that, uh, that this Benfica team has something to prove against uh, Porto or do you think... Porto will again, uh, as you like to call it, have that attitude of break into your house, open up the fridge, oh, eat the oh, chicken, eat throw the chicken bones onto the... What do you think? Uh, look, man, I would like to think that this team um, wants to win this game in the worst ways. As, as we started off the podcast, and Philippe mentioned the Sporting Benfica rivalry, right? And, and we started talking about how it doesn't matter what the current situation with those teams is always going to be right. It's the same exact thing. To me, I mean, I know Sporting just won't like this, but to me, my internal rival is, is football with the Porto. Sporting to me means, I mean, three titles since I've been a boy. Look, I'm an old man. I'm not a 20-year-old kid. I'm an old man. Three titles in my lifetime, that to me, it means nothing. So football with the Porto, you absolutely always have to bring your best game. Because even when they're not, that fantastic team that, you know, like they, they've had in the last 20 years, they've had some fantastic players. They're always going to have that guy. They're always going to have that coaches, the, the attitude that, that Sergio Conceição has. They're always going to come for a fight. You know, you always have to be prepared. Now, I'm, I'm honest to God, I'm, I'm a little bit conflicted because I don't know because I want, I want to believe that these guys have, you know, some type of self-respect, right? They, they want to represent themselves in Benfica um, in, in the highest of ways, Just considering, as you mentioned, we gave away the title. Right. And we're like, bro, we, we have some dignity inside. We're going to bring this back. But then I started thinking, my boy JJ's back. Half of these guys know they're out the door. Like, yo, man, I'm done. I'm packing my bags. <laughs> like, I'm being serious. I'm, a lot of these guys know, look, I'm, I'm done. Like, my bags are done already. The bus is going to be right outside. You know, some guys are going to get back on the bus to go back to the side of the loose. Some are going straight to the airport. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, you, you know, like, I just I just don't know, man. Like, I, I like to think that these guys are professionals and they're going to want to win this game. <laughs> but <laughs> with all that's going around and going on in the FICA world, you just you, you don't know about these players' attitudes nowadays, man, because that's the one question that we would all love to have answered is, What's up? What, what, you know, with what they've done, it seems like their attitude flipped. There was something a switch went off because this team was playing fantastic. It wasn't always the greatest, but they had such a tremendous lead, and they seemed like the camaraderie was perfect. And then all of a sudden, that switch went off, and so that's 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 got. And, and you see, Brun Lage is actually risen. He's you know mentioned a little something, so he hasn't kind of like put the fire out. So, you know, the, the, the attitudes is the one thing you want to question. So, again, I know I sound crazy, and most of you guys that listen to podcasts half the time call me crazy, but then a couple months later, you're like, oh, snap, he was on to something. I hope I'm not on to something here, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if these guys, their mind is elsewhere. Already. Yeah, Flip, what do you make of uh, Benfica's uh, chances for this game? As, as, um, as Chris was saying, the, the attitude, I think, is, is, is the main problem. But on the other hand, I remember that game, 2004. I, w- I know I was at the Jamor for that game, and no one thought we'd be able to beat this Super Porto, and, and we did. So you know, sometimes 
the cup final can be can be a very surprising game. On the other hand, you know, to, to tell you honestly, I'm one of those radicals maybe who thinks that this game shouldn't even be played. I think a cup final with no fans is it, it should it shouldn't even be happening. Uh, I wrote on Twitter even before football was was taken up again that if uh, if Benfica happened to win the title, I wouldn't be celebrating it because I think it's ridiculous that they started up the league without without fans and with these you know clubs Santa Clara playing all their games in the in the Ciudad de Futbol and, and and things like that. I think it was it was forced and it shouldn't have happened. And I think that's the attitude I'm going to watch the game on um, on Saturday. I will watch it if you know if if I can. But without the fans there, it's 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 not the same thing. So even if we lose to Porto this year, this year, uh, I think it won't hurt that much. I, I'll I'll just be happy the season's over. Quite honestly, yeah. you know, this is usually the time of year that I'm that I'm having that deserved rest from football, and the fact that we're still at it, you know, it's it's, it's August. We're still having to put up with this, and it's been so drawn out, and it's been so unimpressive towards the end. I just feel, you know, I, I want my holiday. So, so, um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not overly concerned. But of course, yeah. if we win, I'll be happy. Yeah, but, of but course. I won't be letting my kids go out to celebrate at the roundabout. <laughs> if you've listened to the podcast before, you know Alfredo's the nice guy, and I'm the not so nice guy. So I'm not going to let you off the hook here so easily. You team JJ or team anti JJ? We need to know. We can't let you go without knowing this. We need okay. to know. Okay. Uh, so, so this is my opinion. Uh, I think George Zouz is a fantastic coach. I think he will have us playing good football again uh, for the next three years, you know, if, if he stays that long. Definitely, I think our football will improve. I think if all goes according to, to, to reason, then we will pretty much be unbeatable over the next three years, considering the state that Sporting and Porto are in, financially and, 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 and in terms of their internal workings and so on. I think that's that's a fact. However, I think that the fact that that they went to that I think the amount of money that they invested in getting him is absurd. Um, after the after the board said that they were not they were going to cut down investments, I think this is this is a very high price to pay that that our president is paying to try and secure his reelection. And I have no idea if you guys are eventually going to get into the into the, the politics of it. The election's coming up in October. I'm sure you are. Uh, I think that this, what happened here, shows that the, the this management, this, uh, this board of directors is, uh, I think, I think they're, I think they're lost. You know, the, the word in Portuguese is just not the age. They've lost their bearings. Um, I think so. It's not about Jesus himself. And I can forgive the fact that he went to Sporting. He's a professional. You know, he goes where they pay him. That's Benfica basically pushed him out the door. So you know, we can't then complain. It's like complaining. We can't complain that he went to Sporting. That that's not my issue. That's no. not my issue. My issue is that this show this shows that that the decisions being taken uh, by the top are are far from, from reasonable and sound. Mm. Uh, and I think, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, the, the, no, at the beginning of, last, of your last podcast uh, about when Vieira saw the light and decided to keep on Rui Vitoria um, against, all, uh, against all logic, against all of his, of his advisors and so on. And this is one of those occasions where he's, he's just putting, I don't know, uh, putting his interests ahead of, ahead of the club. Um, that was to the cost that, of... That's my, that's my concern. Was- 
that was Pinto da Costa pointing a, a, a one of them. What, what do you call them? I'm afraid of them big lights. What do you call it? Whatever. The flashlight. All of us. The floodlights. What are those spotlights? Floodlights. Yeah, I think he was doing to keep them on board. Listen, yeah. all I know, all I know, right? All I know is this. Um, I know I went about all that gibberish about <clears throat> players quitting and players, the mentality. All I know is that for a for a club like Benfica, right? The the absolute most biggest giant in Portuguese football. It is inexcusable that we have won five Tassas Portugal in the last 30 years. This is embarrassing. And so I hope that Verissimo, I hope that Jesus, if he's going to give these guys a pep talk, I don't care who it is. I hope whomever speaks to these guys prior to them taking the field at, uh, at I was going to say Jean Moore, in Coimbra, right? They need to let these guys, it's embarrassing. We need to change this once and for all. Because, as I stated, man, I can't believe that in my lifetime. I've never been to Jamur. Well, I did. I went there and I took a picture, but not for a game. Um, you know, it's it's embarrassing that we have not held our own in this competition. Um, and, and it's something that I will – even though we're still the – what is it? The record holders for most trophies. Yeah. It, it's still in the last 30 years, the numbers have been bleak. And so I hope that um, the players want to represent the club well, want to bring the Kaneko back home. Uh, at least it's something to salvage their season. And, and, and I'm hoping that these guys are professionals and that they uh, do indeed do that. Dave, uh, expectations for this game? I, I already told you I'm I'm ready done with oh, this uh, season. Okay. Uh, yeah, give me give me uh, August first or whenever they're going to announce JJ. Whenever they're going to announce their their signings right. for next season. Oh, third for, for third for J. Oh yeah, the the cup is on the first of the yeah. the Monday. Um, expectations. I I think that uh, a lot of these players have already checked out. Um, even before the sporting game, the, these guys have checked out mentally long before that. So I, I'm coming into this match with very low to uh, minimal expectations. And uh, if we pull off the, the result, great. If not, I'm not going to lose sleep over it because, like I said, bring uh, August 3rd on, bring on the new signings, the uh, the new regime, and uh, pack yeah. this one up and uh, wait for the... Uh, the 30 for 30, like I said, on how the collapse uh, happened uh, this season. Dave, it's going to be a J.J. Cavani press conference, joint press conference. Um, so, uh, uh, just to, just real quick, and, and I know that we needed to get Philippe on, and, and we certainly appreciate him being on with us uh, this late. So um, we will speak more about uh, the candidates that have popped up. Uh, a new uh, candidate has, has popped up, João Lourinho Lopes. Uh, he is currently collecting signatures so he could uh, formalize his candidacy. Uh, certainly on October 3rd, the movement Servida Benfica will also uh, show face and show the, uh, the guys that are behind that. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, we'll spend a little bit more time or a lot more time on that next week. Uh, we don't want to drag this this on. And the intent was to have Flip on and to speak about his book uh, in uh, in the eve of, of the Taça de Portugal. And certainly it was very entertaining. And Flip, thank you very much um, for, for coming on. Uh, so, But we promise that next week we will talk about more about uh, Noronha and talk about the Movimento Servir Benfica, which I think there's a lot of guys, that, a lot of people in our audience that are curious about these candidates, uh, being that uh, a lot of them don't speak Portuguese and they depend on our information uh, to really understand the situation that's going on. Um, just one last thing uh, before we go. 
Um, Benfica also announced that when the players go on vacation, the players have been encouraged uh, to stay in Portugal during their vacation time. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, they're not forcing the players to stay, but certainly a lot of players have agreed to stay in Portugal. Obviously, Portugal being one of the countries that has, that has done the best in terms of, uh, of COVID and, and containing COVID. Uh, and certainly uh, players should feel um, safe in Portugal. And certainly there's a lot of Portugal to see. There's a lot of beaches uh, in Portugal to see and just not in the Algarve. Uh, the interior of Portugal is also beautiful. The north of Portugal is also beautiful. So certainly uh, a lot of places where uh, players can spend their time. Um, Philippe, some parting words. I know that, uh, that you're, you're struggling over there to, to stay awake. I know it's late for you. Some parting words. All right, guys, just, you know, thank you very much for having me on. It's always a, it's a huge privilege. I really enjoyed these opportunities to, to, to speak about my book and to get to know guys like you who are doing so much for, for Befica and for, for spreading the word. So thank you a lot for, for all the work you've been doing. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate you sharing your story through, through your words now and through your book. And anyone listening to, 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 to this right now, make sure you go ahead and, Alfredo, maybe you could put the link up on, on, yeah. on our or whatever, our Twitter, our, our social media handles to, to, to go ahead and get the copy because this is a phenomenal story. And like you said, this might very well be the last ever champion, uh, the final, I should say champion, the best last ever final played at the Jabot. So this is going to be like one of those Michael Jordan 1994 retro shirts that you're going to wear. So in a few years, man, you're going to want to really take a look at this. So make sure you get it now before it's sold out. Yeah, that's right. You could find uh, our podcast on Twitter at Benfica Podcast. At 10CO10 is where you can find uh, Cristiano. At 87DO87 is where you can find Dave. Uh, BenficaPodcast.com, also on Facebook and, and all that good stuff. Uh, don't forget, Benfica Podcast is one of the founding members of Benfica Independent. Uh, check our uh, projects, a uh, bunch of projects there that are aggregated within that Benfica Independent platform, BenficaIndependent.com. Uh, articles of opinion podcasts uh, and other features we're also on patreon if you want to support us that way uh, with two levels of support one at two one at five uh for for the month so that's uh uh you know it's something that you're supporting and there's an independent voice behind that uh and a lot of opinions different opinions we don't have an agenda per se with that site but all we really want was what's best for for Benfica. And I think that as a Benfica fan, all we want is really what's best for Benfica. Thank you very much uh, for checking us out. Thank you, Philippe, for, for, for joining us again. Cristiano and Dave, always a pleasure. We'll speak to you again next week. We'll uh, recap uh, the Portuguese Cup final and we'll talk about uh, the elections and the candidates and also off-season and any uh, surprise signings that may come up Bye. until then. Buy, sell, or stay alone. Stay, our beautiful yeah. game we play every year. Yep, That's right. Make sure you tune in. Take care, everyone. Carrega Benfica. Bye.